everyone, and welcome to the InCust Review, what great schools do. This podcast is designed to inform educators, policymakers, and school communities about the research-based practices, policies, and procedures that make great schools, well, simply put, great. I'm your host, Dr. Deborah McLaren, Executive Coach for InCust. And today, I'm thrilled to have the Executive Director, Dr. Francisco Escobedo. Welcome, Dr. Escobedo. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Looking forward to a great conversation to talk about something that I believe very deeply in my life is equity and excellence for all students. Well, as we get started here, can you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and how you got involved with INCUST? Of course. So I've been working for K-12 education for over 30 years. I'm a retired superintendent, been an assistant soup, a principal. I worked in the charter world as well as a vice president for Edison Schools, uh, been a teacher, uh, been uh, a university professor at San Diego State. Uh, so I, again, after my retirement, I, well, I don't think I really retired. I'm laughing because I can relate to that. <laughs> I haven't really retired. So, so presently, I'm, in, I'm an executive director of the National Center of Urban School Transformation, which is a, a part of the San Diego State University Foundation. In addition to that, I'm also a California State Board member. Um, actually, I'm serving my second term and um, enjoying it quite a bit. So I think I'm busier now than ever before. Well, uh, you certainly give inspiration to people like me who also am supposedly retired. But um, I really appreciate what you continue to do to promote uh, excellence in our schools. And I know having had the opportunity to work under your leadership, it was such a privilege. And I felt um, that the focus on children and what we needed to do for our children to make sure they had the education they deserved, you really uh, lived out that vision. And so I just want to say thank you for that. As we talk a little bit more about uh, today, about what schools do that get excellence and equity, what is NCUST doing now as far as this is concerned? Because I know it started in 2005, but it's grown a lot and it's also developing different branches in sort of different direction, this podcast being one. Uh, what, do, what is NCUST looking to do now or what are they doing now? So NCUST has two prime purposes. One, research and development looking at positive outlier schools throughout the nation. In fact, we've studied over 175 schools across 25 states in our nation, seeking positive outlier schools, going to every single classroom, doing focus groups with parents, teachers, as well as leaders, and figuring out, you know, distilling what are those characteristics that are common. Now, although we focus on the urban uh, schools, uh, as of last year, we have um, opened our research to suburban and rural schools. So that, 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 is, that is new. In fact, any, any school in those areas that would like to uh, apply for our America Best School Award can do so. You can just check out our website, 
and fill out an application. In addition to that, uh, we really focused a lot uh, with uh, leadership, um, specifically at the site level. Now, one of the things that we're expanded is how do we develop our teacher leaders, right? Yes. That is such a, a untapped source because I know as a principal, uh, yes, I, 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 as a principal, leadership is important. However, I, my success came from the many teacher leaders that I worked for. Yes, you're, you're making me uh, think about my time as a principal, which um, I served for in that role for 17 years. And one of the things that was constantly at the forefront of my mind was building capacity, making sure that when I left, the organization would still be successful and not reliant on me. And I call it a working myself out of my job sort of uh, men mentality. So building leadership capacity is, I think, a big part of what NCUST is doing right now, I know with the leadership book that they've published and it has a lot of information about what great leaders do, what would you say um, or you would want our listeners to know related to the work that you're doing with these additional groups? What would you say is the most probably challenging um, aspect of your work? I would say the most challenging aspect of, of the work is, is, is the whole time issue to help develop our, our leaders. You know, we do offer a certificate program for our teachers and it's once a month. And what we've connected is their ability to then get a doctorate after receiving our certificate program is giving them also the space for them to do project-based learning where the learning is focused in, in their actual work, making the work relevant to the to their lives and to the students they serve and I, and I, and I think many times with professional development there's a lot of theory but there's limited connection between theory and practice so one of the things that we're doing at NCUS is bridging the theory and the practice so those books that you alluded to for example the teaching practices we have cr created experiences where the teachers can actually reflect on the practices and then teach those practices to the teachers they work with and create some uh, a, what we call a equity and excellence project that they work for a whole year and then begin doing some action research and see how those practices affect student achievement. I want to say that uh, one of the things that always comes to my mind when we talk about plans and we're going to implement certain goals and take certain actions, that the most important part is how are we measuring that progress along the way to make sure that we're achieving the results that we want to achieve to make the progress we expect to make towards our goals. And I think many times in our schools, that's a, a missing piece is what are we doing? How are we measuring the progress along the way? And is that progress significant enough? I want to get to another uh, question that I have for you. Do you, ha you have a personal story uh, from your life that would give us a picture of kind of who you are, but also how you connect so well with the vision of, of INCUST. Well, so education wasn't my uh, number one choice when I graduated from college, actually. 
I, I, I was in law enforcement originally. Oh. Yes. Uh, believe it or not, <laughs> I was uh, patrolling out, out in uh, San Diego. And, um, but it was through my law enforcement experience that I decided to become a teacher. And let, let me expand on that. I, I, I remember, I would have to say most of my arrests were either Latino, African-American, young men between the ages of 18 and 24. I would have to say 100% of them were male wow. and Latino and African-American males. And somehow I, I, I just had um, an affinity to really try to help them and counsel them and, and, and have them change their lives to become more focused in their education. My partner was so fed up that I was taking so much time trying to counsel them <laughs> that he said to me, you're wasting your time because once these, these kids are arrested, oh, wow. they become institutionalized. And you'll find them coming back into the system over and over again. So he said, why don't you stop wasting your time and be a teacher? There you can make a difference. In one week, Dermer, I, I turned in my badge. Oh, my goodness. Went into the uh, teaching credential program at UCSD and became a teacher. And from that day on, I know that education can serve as a bridge for many of these students to change their lives because of certain factors and even factors that may be inherent in K-12 education that can lead to that prison pipeline. You know, I, I want to say that one of the things that I have shared with folks is teachers do not get into this profession for the money. I mean, I know that sounds kind of, you know, like, yeah, we know that, but if you really think about the fact that they don't get into this job for the money because they're not paid enough in many cases to even live without another source of revenue to, to buy a home or, or do other things as an adult. So knowing that, when I hear your story, I also say to myself that the folks that get into education have a desire greater than this just being a job, this being because I want a paycheck, this is because there's something deeper inside of them that they want to make a difference. So I think as leaders, it was important for me as a principal to support my teachers with this thinking as, you know, they didn't get into this for any other reason than some altruistic reason and desire they had to make a difference. And so to hear your story about how you wanted to make a difference and you less, you probably made more as a law. Far with the overtime. And, <laughs> yes. In law enforcement than as a teacher. But, but thank you for that personal story. Uh, I know the power of stories in general in our lives to really make a difference when we share our stories with others. I have another question for you. Um, tell us about a positive change you feel that you have made in your work as an educational leader, something you feel good about or believe is for the greater good. Well, as a, as a superintendent, we're designated as a positive outlier district. Can you tell us what does outlier mean? Okay, so what an outlier it means is that when you look at socioeconomics, when you look at the research out there, when you look, you, Socioeconomics is one of the best predictors on student achievement. Over and over again, you see that repeated. So therefore, 
Students who live in poverty typically have the lowest student achievement results. California, New York, Florida, Texas, no, no matter what state, you'll see that correlation, right? So being a positive outlier means that you have students in poverty yet achieving above state averages, uh, competing against a, a very, uh, you know, a pro probably a higher economic level uh, district. So, so that's what a positive outlier, that means you're going against the trends, right? And so what uh, Linda Darling-Hammond and her organization called LPI, Learning Policy Institute, they examine over a thousand districts in the state of California. They use poverty index as a um, control group. And then they were able to rank how every district in California, how their achievement with black students, white students, all ethnic groups, but you know, lived in poverty. How did they achieve compared to other districts? And Chula Vista was one of the districts I, I was privileged to lead, or one of the very few districts that were considered a positive outlier district. And so that's what that's also the mission of NCUST, right? We look for schools. You know, it's hard to find a district, but there are schools out there that are positive outliers, that they're able, no matter what zip code they're in, no matter what level of poverty, students are are achieving out, outstanding results. And these things can be replicated. And it is our, our mission to replicate. So not only do we do research and development, but we also partner with schools and districts to replicate these same results. So I know what's resonating with me right now is I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I guess I'm a positive outlier individual because I grew up in Chicago in an all-black neighborhood and uh, in what's considered poverty, and yet I was able, to, because of the different environments that I was in over time educationally and the different settings that I had opportunity to be a part of, I was able to achieve a doctorate in spite of all of the factors that said, oh, you know, you're not likely to go beyond this or that. I didn't even read until uh, fourth grade. And so knowing that, I, I'm a statistic outlier because of that. But I would say this, one thing that I've thought about over the years, what made the difference in my life and what do I believe makes a difference in the lives of other students who are in these outlier areas or outlier, they're identified as outlying um, outliers as far as schools are concerned or school districts. I think the number one factor for me is it starts with, do we believe first and foremost that the children can achieve? And when we believe in someone, really believe in them and believe they have the ability, the rest is we got to figure out now how we get those results, but we have to start with the belief. What do you what do you think about that? I would have to say yes. You have to have the belief. However, you have to couple it with being challenged. You have to couple it because I've seen many well-intentioned educators who do believe, but they really don't believe because uh, when you go into the classroom, you see below grade level type of activities that students um, are trying to complete. And the rationale is, oh, these students can't do it. 
you see. So you really don't believe. Right. Right. Yet it's well-intentioned and they do believe eventually they'll get through it. But if students aren't challenged, belief is not enough. You have to have the belief and you have to have the challenge. So I bet if you think about your childhood, you, yeah, you, you had someone that believed in you, but I'm sure you had people that also challenged you. Yeah, absolutely. That, that perhaps you felt, oh, I don't think I can do it. I said, no, you can. I'll be there for you, but you got, you're going to have to really gut it out and, 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 and challenge yourself and step up to meet these rigorous standards. That's interesting. Um, and I'm really, I'm really inspired by that because it makes me think of something that I heard Oprah say one time. She mentioned, she said, you know, folks are always saying, well, the reason why you can do things like uh, exercise or the things that you do to have a, you have a cook to cook the right kinds of food so that you can stay on a diet or whatever. And she said, look, I'm the one who has to get up in the morning and actually do the exercise. These people can't do this for me. And so when you say that I had people that challenged me, I still had to be motivated to do the work. I had to put the homework in. I had to make sure that I did the things that I was being challenged to do. And then there was the support there. I had teachers that supported me along the way whose names I still remember to this day. I had principals who supported me over the years whose names I remember. And um, so so thank you for that because it's, it is more than belief. You also have to know that whatever you believe in that person is matching what you're doing. And for me, that's the definition of integrity. That's true. That is so true. Anything else you want to tell our listeners before we conclude? Well, I just want to say that educating a child, uh, the whole child, there's so many multifacets of it, right? It is being able to motivate, but it also relevancy is critical. Where the the culture of the student, the environment where the student lives. You have to inspire and motivate by connecting to the child's background. I think that's so important that, you know, many teachers have a set curriculum, but the art of teaching is making those connections to the lives of the students, making the curriculum alive to their surroundings and creating meaning on their surroundings and dreaming that with the knowledge they're learning, how can they change their surroundings? How to create a better life, having them own knowledge and then create their own. And so I am inspired with many of the teachers we have there. There are doing these things and I look forward that that type of teaching becomes more prevalent in many uh, of our schools that serve students that are, that come from very challenging places. Uh, But, um, you know, I'm very inspired by our teachers who, yes, they don't get paid enough. And hopefully, (laughs) you know, we, you know, they should be, as you know, the highest paid uh, professional in, in, in our country. Uh, I know California is doing quite a bit in making that happen. 
And I, I feel privileged being part of, the, of a state board who puts our children first and also puts our, te our teachers as, as the main vehicle, right, in making sure students are served well. So thank you so much for this time. I've really, it's a passion for me, of course, serving the millions of students in California and uh, look, look forward to our, our work at NCUST. Well, I just want to say what a wonderful legacy you are leaving um, and for our students, for our families, for our communities. And thank you for being our guest here today, Dr. Escobedo, the executive director of the National Center of Urban Schools Transformation. Once again, the National Center for Urban Schools Transformation was founded in 2005 to help districts and their partners transform schools into places where all students achieve academic proficiency, evidence of love of learning, and graduate well-prepared to succeed in post-secondary education, the workplace, and their communities. We will broadcast a new episode of this podcast at the beginning of each month. You can subscribe to the NCUST Review, What Great Schools Do, on Spotify. We want to thank you for listening to this episode of the NCUST Review. And until next time, I'm your host, Dr. Deborah McLaren, for the NCUST Review, What Great Schools Do.